All right, good morning. <clears throat> now, I will say this for about the barbecue. If I can find some decent briskets at a decent price, I might have some brisket maybe. But there will at least be pulled pork there. You might have both. Depends on how I feel. <laughs> there will be barbecue for sure. So, see, if I keep you on edge like that, you know what I mean? You at least got something. You say, ah, you know, it's pulled pork. Well, it could be brisket. You never know. But, amen. It's good to see everybody. And I don't remember how many weeks ago was the last time I preached. Is the mic good? I got the mic in a good spot? All right, perfect. Um, but this message actually builds on the last message. So you're thinking, well, I wasn't here. And I was, some of you are thinking, I was here, but I don't have any idea what you talked about. So you're okay. I'm going to review it and pick out the nuggets and then kind of launch off of that. So, but um, the series, and as a matter of fact, when I preach again, I have another message that's going to tie into this. But really, the, the, whole, the whole lesson really has to deal with the mind and the Christian's mind. And, um, and how much, um, when it comes to renewal and us growing and maturing as Christians, and by the way, let me throw in a plug on Wednesday night where uh, Buddy's doing, we're doing a series called Expelling Lies and on Wednesday nights, and we kind of went from conversations to, to now we get together and we're, we're picking different topics, and, and I cannot stress enough how important it is to to learn these lessons that, that, that we're going through. You can't, you can't get enough of it. And because so much, of, so much of what has molded our patterns and our thinking really comes down to false thinking. Uh, I look back at my own experience, and uh, so many things that I thought, you know, that governed me were really false. They were, they were not truth. Uh, things I believed about the gospel, things I believed about my own identity, was just, it just wasn't true. And so much of those lies affected how I viewed the world, affected how I viewed God, affected how I thought God viewed me. And all of this plays a part in, our, in us being able to live from Christ. So, but if you, if you, if you can't look, I, I say that not being able to be here this last Wednesday because I had to work. So I understand if you can't be there because of work, sometimes I can't be there. But when I do, it's always very good. It's always very helpful. So... And I pray that can be helpful with you this morning. If you got your Bibles, go to Ephesians 4. We're going to review there first. And then we're going to be over in Romans chapter 12. But let me start with prayer. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful for the freedom and liberty we find here at Pure Grace. And Lord, that's only available because of your spirit. And Father, we just... I. I Never a time I've been able to come together and, and, and preach and to teach that I just the, the spirit of just hunger and being welcome is so present here. And Father, I, I just pray, Lord, that as I was reviewing and studying and, and meditating on these verses and these truths found in these verses, may it bring a calm to me and my spirit, Lord, just like it did earlier. And Father, may we be able to leave here with some wonderful truth and revelation, not something that I have brought but, Lord, something that we've just looked back and reflect upon. I'm thankful to know that the gospel is steady diet for us. That gospel is not something we just got at one point in our Christian experience. Lord, it's as we have received you, we continue to walk in you, as Paul said. Lord, we just pray that uh, the, this morning we can continue to do that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Now... <clears throat> 
Ephesians 4.23, it says, Paul says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In, in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, Ephesians 4, we find Paul dealing directly and specifically with the church's purpose, its influence. And then also he deals with the believer's behavior. And we talked about that last time. But at the very, you know, in, in, this, in, in this, Paul brings out this verse that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, talking to us as believers. But in, in that chapter, he goes over so many different things and so many different topics that really deal with the church as a whole. And he also talks about Christians' behavior, which, by the way, there's nothing wrong with, uh, with, with dealing with behavior issues. Uh, because of grace, a lot of times grace gets the idea that, well, you don't want to deal with sin and behaviors. No, we deal with sin because we realize that Jesus dealt with sin on the cross. And we realize that sin is not the issue any longer. Amen. Done. That's the extent of us dealing with sin. But the lingering effects that, that carry over in our thinking and us growing as Christians, carry, it affects us. And Paul deals with some of these things. Paul even makes the statement in verse 1. He says that we walk worthy of our vocation or our calling. Man, that's, that's kind of, you think about that. Man, that we walk worthy. It's pretty aggressive. But the truth is, we are worthy on the basis of Christ's finished work uh, to be called sons and daughters, and we are new creations of Christ. But even though we are worthy, is our walk always worthy? Anybody want to testify? No, I don't. Definitely. I don't want to testify. Reality is, our walk is not always worthy. But the truth is, we are worthy. Just like you think back to Jesus. Was Jesus becoming the Son of God? Well, he needed to commit a few miracles first. He needed to preach a few sermons. He needed to walk on the water. And then after he walked on the water, then and only then would he be considered worthy to be the Son of God. No, God said, this is my Son in whom I am what? Well pleased. He, he, did, he wasn't becoming that. He was born that way. And likewise, when we get born again, we're born worthy. And there's oftentimes our walk is not worthy of who we truly are. Religion and churchianity has muddied the water when it comes to this truth. And in an effort to teach others to make themselves worthy and presentable to God, have failed to employ the basic truths of the gospel. Now, by the way, let me say this. We, we enjoy these truths on a regular basis here at Pure Grace. And, it, and it's by design. Because so often, you know, we, you, know you, you look... Just like Paul was describing in Ephesians, being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, so much is competing, trying to get in there to, to try to make the Christian experience complicated. Or it's more to it. Or political. You know what I mean? We're trying to... We're, it's, 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 and I was thinking this morning in my meditation, and I mentioned this to Justin. I said, you know, the, like the Holy Spirit asked me this question. He said, is the gospel a divisive message? Is it divisive? And I thought to myself, well, if I look by experience, I would have to say yes. But let me ask you this. Let me word it another way. Is the intent of the gospel meant to be divisive? Was that God's intention for the gospel message to be divisive? That we could have denominational divides and we can have brothers and sisters that have known each other for years can become divided on the very sense of the gospel. It's not, it, it's, it, the, the gospel message is not meant to be divisive, but it is. Yeah. 
because it strips away the intentions of man and what man intends. It pulls it back and says, look, you don't have to. God already did. God took care of this thing. And it strips us bare and say, okay, it's either I can accept this or I can't accept it. And the reality is those that can't accept it, it becomes very divisive. But onward, let me say this. What is strangely absent from Paul's addressing the Ephesians on behavior was him simply, it was him saying they, they did not have a heart problem. He said that the world had a heart problem. But when it comes to us, we, we do not have a heart issue, that we, we have new hearts. And that was kind of the idea of last week's message was the idea that, you know, we've heard this statement before, and I've heard it for years, that, that you can have the gospel here, or you can have God's truth here, but you don't have it here, right? You know what I'm saying? It's, or, uh, you know, it's, it's this. It's, it's the word this far apart. It's all about it being here, but being here. But the reality is, well, to a believer, we have it here. When you got saved and you got a new heart, all the truth, who you are, is already there. What's having a hard time with the truth? It's here. Here's where we're having it. Here is where the divisiveness comes. Us is just accepting and believing, yes, it is that simple. Jesus took care of it. Ah, oh, that's correct. You know, you know, what well, okay, all right, well, I understand grace, but you gotta you gotta couple grace with truth, you, you know, which basically means we gotta add a little bit of law in there. We gotta you know, we got we got but I always laugh at that because has anybody ever heard that before? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's the reality is this grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? He's it's all on one side. So, but anyway, let me go on here. Paul did address the heart problem of the lost Gentiles when he chose when he when he chose not to put their who who chose not to put their faith in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter four and verse seventeen and eighteen. He addresses this issue. He says, "This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth not walk as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their what, in their mind, having their understanding darkened." Why is that? Because he says it next. He says, being alienated from what? The life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their what? Their heart. Now, the lost world does struggle with a heart issue. But may I say, brother and sister in Christ, you do not. That you have new hearts. That's why you have relationship with God. That's where Jesus literally got to the heart of the issue because that's where it was. Belief determines behavior, and Paul knew the way to address behavior was was to reinforce our identity in Christ. Now, let me say this. Before Paul gets into behavior issues with believers, keep in mind he spent three chapters laying the foundation of identity in Christ. He starts off Ephesians saying that we have all spiritual blessings... In Christ Jesus. All spiritual blessings. Man, we're all about blessings. Man, blessed. I'm trying to be blessed. I want God to bless me. Congratulations, you have been blessed. You know what I mean? You have been blessed. God has blessed you. Ephesians 4.14 says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine... By the slight of man and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. 
But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Churchianity in religion has taught maturity and faith are directly tied to things we do. But the truth is maturity is tied to who we know and what we believe. That's where it is. Who we know and what we believe about these things. Because growth in reality in the spiritual world is, is basically a paradox. In the natural world, maturity becomes is us becoming independent and self-reliant, isn't it? That's what I hate about watching your kids grow up. You know what I mean? Let me do it. I got this. I can take care of this. And you're slowly watching them. Now, some of them, I don't know about you, but some of my kids aren't going fast enough in some issues. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Some of them, you're like, you know what, it's time. You know what I mean? You can put your shoes on. This can't happen. You know what I mean? You can open a mustard packet all by yourself. It just can't happen. But in reality, maturity in this natural world is, is becoming independent. In the spiritual world, maturity becomes and becomes dependent and, and staying dependent upon Christ. That's maturity. It's realizing that it's, it's about Him. And you get comfortable with that. It's not even a sacrifice. It's understanding the necessity of life and being dependent upon Christ. How so much of what He's done, not just for us, but in us, makes up who we truly are. That's maturity. Our minds have a hard time believing what our hearts, listen... What our hearts already know, that's why Paul is concerned with the mind. You know what I mean? Our, our, our minds have a hard time believing what our heart's telling us to be true. You know, case in point, when you sin and your, your walk is not worthy of who you know you really are, you realize how hard it is for you to accept, go back and realize, you know what, I'm... This is not who I really am. The, I'm, this Father has made me different. I don't desire. I may have been in the heat of the moment or emotion, but the reality is I'm really who God says that I am. I don't know about you, but when mistakes come and sin may come in your life, it, it, it takes time to just step back and say, you know what? No, this is not who I am. I'm not going to allow this action to redefine who I truly am. Because our minds have a hard time embracing what our heart already knows to be true. That's why Ephesians 4.23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Because the Ephesians were having some issues. And he had to call them out on some issues. And he says, look, don't walk as other Gentiles walk. He says, let your walk be worthy of who you know you really are. And we're going, all right, we're going to look at another place where Paul talks about this. Romans chapter 12. You got your Bibles, phones, whatever. We can look at that. Romans chapter 12. Very familiar verses. In verse 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Has anybody ever heard this preached on before? Anybody heard this before? 
Yes. Is it bringing back some, some very familiar youth conferences and youth events? And you know what I mean? Just some of you are thinking, is there good news in this somewhere? You know what I mean? It's there. We're going to get to that. But notice what Paul says. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. There's the key word right there. That's it. Transformed. By the renewing of your what? Your mind. That you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Once again, we find Paul dealing with behavior in regards to the believer. And from my experience, these verses are used to bring a lot of unnecessary confusion and also condemnation in the life of the believer. Unnecessarily. Doesn't need to be that way. We see words like holy and acceptable, and we get nervous because we do not feel holy and acceptable to God, so my position with God now becomes a question mark, doesn't it? Paul very clearly says that we present ourselves holy and acceptable, and we say, oh, no, I can't do that. I don't feel that way. I need to start doing some religious stuff. Isn't it amazing how religious stuff makes us feel holy? You know what I mean? Makes us feel acceptable. We come strutting out of church on Wednesday nights like a peacock. You know what I mean? Kiss the ring. We're Wednesday nights. We, come, we went to every night of the revival. Every night. Not only that, I, I even helped take up the offering. Kiss the ring. I feel like I'm ready for the world. I have did a bunch of religious stuff. Do some religious stuff. Makes me feel makes me feel that way. But let me go on here. I wasn't even in my notes, but that was good, wasn't it? That's, that's just, I love it, man. Anyway. You know, we then see we see phrases like conform to the world, and we combine this with every sermon we've heard that has been taught to us what is worldly. You know what I mean? Thing is about that, it's always open for interpretation, isn't it? I remember once, I mean, I could go on for days about this, but I remember, I remember sitting in Bible college listening to one preacher basically tell us that we're worldly if we wear any shirt other than a white collared shirt. You know, I mean, obviously there's a tie because... Holiness is always linked to a tie being on, but, but I mean, seriously, I mean, and Buddy can even testify to this. I mean, things like that, that was worldliness. That's, that's to the point. And, and they would always justify it by saying, well, if we go so far over to this side and make worldly, the worldliness something as simple as this, it's going to keep you, protect you from going too far the other way. That's how it's justified. You see what I mean? But the reality is it goes a whole lot. It's, it's always open for interpretation. Let me go on here. We then come to that very fearful term, the will of God. And then our minds start to meditate on how bad we've blown God's perfect will, uh, the perfect will of God for our lives. You ever, think, you ever hear that before? You know what I mean? I used to look at that perfect will of God and, and then maybe I can at least have the acceptable will of God. And somehow the will of God is always tied into how big our mansion is going to be in heaven. You know what I mean? It becomes square footage and how many, you know, how many crowns and jewels we're going to get and the gift, get, you know, gift cards for you know, God, you know, the heavenly 
you know, uh, I always think like the heavily Chuck E. Cheese, we're going to go make, you know, redeem things, and it all becomes about these things now. When it comes to the will of God, well, I may not have a mansion, but at least I can have a what? Owl house, you know what I mean? Yeah. I had to tell, I, I've had to tell so many people, no, you're not going to have an outhouse. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know for sure exactly what you're going to have, but it's not an outhouse. Well, if I come into the church, the, the, the ceiling's going to cave down in on me. In my personal experience, these verses have been used to do more damage to believers when it comes to our relationship with God. Now, the truth is, Paul is reinforcing the same thing to the Romans that he, he was to the Ephesians, and that is their behavior needs to match their true identity. That's what he's saying. Keep in mind that Paul has spent... Now, in Ephesians, he spent three chapters. In Romans, he has spent, over, he spent 11 chapters, six chapters specifically, dealing with the gospel and identity Literally line upon line, breaking it down, building, building it back up. Eleven chapters defining salvation, righteousness, grace, identity, and the new creation before he gets to the topic of behavior. So it's not about behavior. It's about giving people the foundation first and then building upon that. When we make behavior the ultimate goal first and we don't give them the life of God, how in the world are we going to make it? We're not. We're going, to, we're going to fail every time. Key words that Paul uses here. Present, uh, 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 key words are present your bodies. Truth is our bodies or flesh is not always on board with what the Spirit is leading. Have you noticed this recently? Has anybody noticed this? Is your body always on board with what the Spirit's leading? Absolutely not. But thank God we're not our bodies, right? We're not our bodies. We're not. Praise the Lord. That's not who we are. I'm not this body of flesh. One day I'm going to shed this thing. If I keep making making my wife mad, it's going to be sooner than later. (laughs) Life insurance policies scare me sometimes. I do work with power tools. You realize that, don't you? This same truth was reinforced in Ephesians 4. Go back to Ephesians 4. We looked at it. Let's look at it again. Paul talks about this very same thing. Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24, he says, "...that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness..." And notice he says, true holiness. See, because true holiness is a gift. Holiness was not you wearing a tie and going to Wednesday night service and going to the revival and reading the King James Bible only and what all this stuff that that goes on with what... Stop, man. (laughs) I'm not talking to Buddy. Anyway... True holiness is us realizing it was gifted to us. It's not something we're becoming. Although the old man has been crucified, how do we know that? Romans 6.6 tells us that, that the old man is dead, he's gone, he's been crucified. 
He says, uh, the former conversation or behavior, the flesh patterns, are still very evident in our flesh. It's still there. Behavior and belief patterns are like well-traveled highways. How do you respond to bad news? You know what I mean? How do you deal with stress? How do you deal when somebody uh, uh, treats you wrongly? What is your normal go-to for survival? These flesh patterns that have been developed and we've used them for years, they're like well-traveled highways. The Holy Spirit saying, ah, 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 no, no, let's try not, let's not do that a hundred thousandth time. Let's try this a different way. Have you considered this? And the Spirit's leading and guiding us. He says, put off the, the former conversation. Uh, you know, I, I think I gave the illustration last time about uh, like when a president takes over he has to deal with the lingering administration, previous administration, and has to deal with that over a period of time. That's like us dealing with the, the lingering administration before. We're trying to change direction and, and chart a new path by way of listening to the Spirit of God in our life. Paul also spends a lot of time defining what true righteousness is. Romans chapter 5. Let's look there. Romans chapter 5, verse 17, 18. Just reinforce what I just said. Give you some scripture on that. Romans chapter 5, verse 17, 18 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense, one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Now, who's he talking about there? Talking about Adam, right? Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. True holiness, like righteousness, is a gift received, not a goal achieved through behavior. And that's a truth that'll make you free. Romans 12, 2, Paul makes some important distinctions in regard to growth. He says, be not conformed, but be what? Transformed. I don't know about you, but when the Spirit of God brought this truth to me, the difference between conforming and transforming, it was like a Mack truck, man. It just it hit me, and it, and it was in the craziest way. I, uh, I for, for about... Two years was in charge of a an addiction program, and we would we would meet on Friday nights. and And, and I will say this: the very heart of the addiction program was very was very good. It was very gospel centered. It was very Christ centered. And 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 we we you know we naturally advertise people finding freedom. You know what I'm saying through Christ. But it's funny when it comes down to freedom in Christ, when you talk about freedom in Christ, in the context of freedom, it's always gross sin or immorality or drugs or anything like that. You know what I mean? I always kind of, I kind of laugh because I was like stuck in religion needing to be free and just as free as they were. Didn't, I mean, and these truths pierced me that I was like, why do we not talk about freedom in Sunday, we never talked about freedom on Sunday. Man, we were looking for routine and a routine, and we were looking to, you know what I mean, our normal thing. We we weren't trying to 
release people for freedom. But man, on Friday nights we did. And I realized very quickly that through the program, we would get them to a certain point, them desiring freedom and finding that in Christ. But then towards the tail end of the program, we would kind of guide them into, into church. You know, I mean, that, that was the, you know, I mean, we, we brought them in. And, the, and it's funny because, we, you know, we, we, come on, you want freedom? You, you want free? Yes, of course I want freedom. But come here. Come here. Let me, let, let, let me show you how to find freedom. And it's in Jesus. And then it's like, okay, we got that out of the way. Now let's get religious. You know what I'm saying? Let's get into this thing because, man, we need workers and, man, we need people. We need volunteers and we got stuff to conquer and things to build and stuff to clean. And we're going to take over this world for Jesus Christ. That's what it is or was for me anyway. So I realized very quickly we went from taking the very truths of the gospel, bringing them in. And then we'd make a turn and then we'd want to try to say, okay, now... Let's start wearing that tie. Let's get that suit on. Don't forget your Bible. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we very quickly started to not allow the gospel to transform them. We very quickly started to conform them to what we wanted them to be. And I realized very quickly that we would use Friday nights to clean them up so we can get them ready for Sunday. And and I'm not trying to... Be divisive, and I'm not trying to put into question anybody's what their real intents were, but that's what we were doing. And the Spirit of God made that very clear to me. And I realized, you know what? I was a part of the same system that I spent so much of my time trying to find transformation by conforming instead of realizing I've been transformed and I am a new creation in Christ. Because when the world wants change, All the world knows how to do to change you is to conform you. Do these things and you can be a part of our club. Dress this way, act this way, talk this way, and you can be a part of the group. Because that's the only tools the world has when it comes to change. God says, I don't need any of that. I'm going to change you from the inside out. And I'm going to watch what my spirit is going to do in you and through you. And that's what Paul's saying. Be not conformed, but be what? Transformed. Religion has capitalized on man's trying to do what only Christ has done for them. Performance-based acceptance is basically sowing them fig leaves. You know what I mean? Covering up that nakedness. That's what it is. Religion has capitalized on that. Conforming through performing will never lead to transforming. Never. Transforming comes by growing in the knowledge of what happened to us when we received Christ. Just as law teaches us that we can't, grace teaches us Jesus did. We're so busy trying to do, grace comes along, says it's been done, and we're like, oh, now what? You know what I mean? What do we do now? Enjoy it. I hate for you to do that, but enjoy it. Rest. 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 Are you crazy? There's so much stuff to do. And God says, strive to enter my rest. Isn't that in the Bible somewhere? I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) That's it. 
Just as law teaches we can't, grace teaches that we did. God's will, when it goes back to God, you know, just think about it. Can God's will be good? Can God's will be acceptable? And can God's will be perfect? Can God's will be all of these things? Absolutely it can. I like Ephesians, um, Philippians chapter 2. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. And I'll end with this. He says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. That's for my children right there. I have to tell them this all the time. Obey not just in my presence, but in my absence also you've obeyed. But notice what he says here. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to what? To will and to do according to his good pleasure. God's working out. We're working out what's already been placed in. And it's interesting that God is working in us not just the do, but also the very will to do it. He has given you the very desire. It's an amazing day in your Christian experience when you realize that you and God truly want the same things. You want the same thing. You go throughout your daily experience and you see people with needs. And it just captivates you. And you say to yourself, I want to help this person. Where do you think that comes from? The heart of your father. You go to another country and you say, I want to help these people. That I'm going to have a yard sale where we give everything away. Did you catch that? <laughs> Welcome to pure grace. You know what I mean? That would have never have happened where I've previously been. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Mark it up 20, knock it down 10, sell it. I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. I'm not really, but I'm just I'm trying to recover because now we are Facebook living this. I'm going to get some hate mail. Anyway. Bring it. I don't care. I do care, actually, because the heart of the Father makes me care. But let me just close this thing off. We work out what God has already worked in. God works both to will and then also to do. That's how Father works. So, far, so much of our Christian experience and is we feel like that we're the adversary that God is going to try to conquer, and he's the big brother that's going to twist our arm behind our back and make us say uncle, so you might as well give in to it. But in reality, we're on the same page because he made us that way. Now, he's not trying to conquer you. You're not an enemy. He's not trying to, you don't need to surrender. You just need to know and understand that our minds often have a hard time believing what our heart knows to be true. And the next time I get a chance to preach, I'm going to talk about how, you know, demonic influence plays into this. And how we, I say fail to underestimate, but how we, we neglect to realize that we do have an adversary. And our adversary is not the Democrats or the Republicans or, you know what I'm saying, conservatism. Or, that's not, you know, the weapons of our war, warfare are not carnal, they're spiritual. And we have to understand that. And... And when you realize that, and you understand that, you, and you realize not only that, that it's there, but you're equipped to deal with it the way Father wants you to. And that you'll, 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 you don't have to go in this world saying, oh, man, i got to watch out, spiritual warfare, you know, choo-choo, choo-choo-choo. i got to be careful. You know what I mean? You realize God has protected you. You just have to understand that the, that the enemy has limitations, but you got to know where his attacks come.
And we'll talk about that next time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Father, I pray that anything that I've said this morning hopefully has been encouraging, enlightening. Lord, I've not tried to be divisive. Now, Father, I know sometimes I like to use my experience of what I've been through to illustrate. But, Lord, I have no, I wish no ill on anything. I'm, I'm thankful for every moment, every lesson, every experience that I have gone through to this point. I would not change one single thing. And, Father, I'm just so thankful that we have a place this morning that we can find rest in the very truths of the gospel. We're thankful, no, we're at a place where that the gospel is not just anything we say with Jesus. The gospel is a specific message that deals with very specific things and specific truths that make us who we are. And, Father, we, are, we believe that the world needs this. Well, Lord, I also believe you know that already. And, Father, I just pray, Lord, that we can be a haven, a, 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 a true body that's joined together on the simple truth of what the gospel is. You are life. And we're thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen.